Hello and welcome to another episode of Where Butterflies Come From. In this show, we read fairy tales from all over the world and react to them in real time. Hope you like listening as much as we like making it. Enjoy! Number nine. Number nine, put me in again. In the water. It must have been about this time that the son of a king who lived a thousand miles from Lagobel set out to look for the daughter of a queen. He traveled far and wide, but as sure as but as sure as he found a princess, he found some fault with her. Of course, he could not marry a mere woman, however beautiful, and there was no princess to be found worthy of him. Whether the prince was so near perfection that he had a right to demand perfection itself, I cannot pretend to say. Well, can you pretend to say anything? <laughs> all I know is he was a fine, handsome, brave, generous, well-bred, and well-behaved youth, as all princes are. So you what are... So they said nothing. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, this That's is what we. Everyone. This is what we called Gigi Muge. <laughs> In his wanderings, he had come across some reports about our princess, but as everybody said, she was bewitched. He never dreamed that she could bewitch him, for what indeed could a prince do with a princess that lost her gravity? Who could tell what she might not lose next? Who could tell? But what indeed could a prince do with a princess that had lost her gravity? Who could tell what she might not lose next? Yeah. Isn't it who could tell what she might lose next? It means the same thing, maybe. If she cannot tell not, then she cannot tell might either. Logic here. All right, thank you. Thanks. She might lose her visibility or her tangibility, or in short, the power of making impressions upon a radical sensorium and other abstract philosophical (laughs) concepts. Uh Uh. So that he should never be able to tell whether she was dead or alive. Yeah, that's a... That's that's a reasonable... That's a Hamlet question. That's a reasonable concern. Of course, he made no further inquiries about her. One day, he lost sight of his retinue in a great forest. These forests are very useful in delivering princes from their courtiers, like a sieve <laughs> that kept... <laughs> These forests are very useful for this thing that's happening in the story right now. These forests are very helpful in delivering princes. <laughs> from their courtiers. Okay, can I These have for- a delivery? <laughs> no, no. What's funny about this is like... These forests are very useful in me writing this story. (laughs) (laughs) These forests are very useful in getting characters from point A to point B, so I can keep writing this story. I like that, but can I other one too? Like a seed that keeps track of the bran. Then the princes get away to follow their fortunes. In this way, they have the advantage of the princesses who are forced to marry before they have a... who are forced to marry before they've had a bit of fun. I wish our princesses got lost in the forest sometimes. Wow. <laughs> so this is just dessert. It's, it's just not the real prince. Editorializing, get... first it, of all. It's a little bit fun, just fun. I wish our princesses got lost in the forest sometimes. Like, who asked you, first of all? What do you know? Who are you? <laughs> 
opinion. <laughs> uh-huh. George MacDonald. One lovely evening after wandering about for many days, he found that he was approaching the outskirts of this forest, for the trees had got so thin that he could see the sun- sunset through them. And he soon came upon a kind of heath. Next, he came upon signs of human neighborhood, but by this time it was getting late, and there was nobody in the field to direct him. After traveling for another hour, his horse, quite worn out with long labor and lack of food, fell and was unable to rise again. So he continued his journey on foot. At length, he entered another wood. Not a wild forest, but a civilized wood. Through which a footpath led him to the side of a lake. Along this path, the prince pursued his way through the gathering darkness. Suddenly, he paused and listened. Strange sounds came across the water. It was, in fact, the princess laughing. Now, there was something odd in her laugh, as I have already hinted. For the hatching of a real hearty laugh requires the incubation of gravity. And perhaps this was how the prince mistook the laughter for screaming. Looking over the lake, he saw something white in the water. And in an instant, he had torn off his tunic, kicked off his sandals, and plunged in. He soon reached the white object and found that it was a woman. There was not light enough to show that she was a princess but quite enough to show that she was a lady, for it does not want much light to see that. Okay. Yes, just with enough intensity of lumens, you can tell if someone is a princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She's just not, not yet a princess, but a lady. No, like, n- there was not light enough to show that she was a princess, but enough light to show that she was a lady. Mm. So there's like a... Like a level of lumens, and I know I'm harping on this point, uh-huh. but you know, like like sixty watts or whatever, uh-huh. you can't tell if it's a princess. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go up to like two hundred watts, three hundred watts, then there's enough lumens to tell whether she's a princess. So w- once you put that light bulb in and turn the lamp, lamp on, it's like, oh yeah, see, not a princess. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see. It's yeah. like a screen, and then adjusting a screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adjust <laughs> until the left image is invisible. Yeah, yeah. Middle, yeah. 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 That's how you see that. That's the. That's the princess. Yeah. yeah. Now I cannot tell how it came about, whether she pretended to be drowning or whether he frightened her, or caught her so as to embarrass her, but certainly he brought her to shore in a fashion ignominious igno- to a swimmer and more nearly drowned than she had ever expected to be. For the water had got into her throat as often as she had tried to speak. At the place to which he bore her, the bank was only a foot or two above the water, so he gave her a strong lift out of the water to lay her on the bank. But her gravitation ceasing the moment she left the water, away she went up into the air, scolding and screaming. You naughty, 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 naughty man, she cried. No one had ever succeeded in putting her into a passion before. When the prince saw her ascend, he thought he must have been bewitched and have mistaken a great swan for a lady. But the princess caught hold of the topmost cone upon a lofty fir. This came off, but she caught another and in fact stopped herself by gathering cones, dropping them as the stalks gave away. The prince, meanwhile, stood in the water staring and forgetting to get out. But the princess disappearing, he scrambled on shore and went in the direction of the trees, there he found her climbing down one of the branches towards the stem, but in the darkness of the wood, the prince continued in some bewilderment as to what the phenomenon could be, until reaching the ground and seeing him standing there, she caught hold of him and said, I'll tell Papa. Oh, no, you won't, returned the prince. 
Yes, I will, she persisted. What business had you pull me down out of the water and throw me into the bottom of the air? I never did you any harm. Pardon me, I did not mean to hurt you. I don't believe you have any brains, and that is a worse loss than your wretched gravity. I pity you. The prince now saw that he had come upon the bewitched princess and had already offended her. <laughs> That's fast. Yeah. Oh. She's very smart. Yeah. Just you know, suddenly see the situation. It's like a groove that guys are in. Like sometimes, like it's really good. Sometimes you're just fucking eating shit. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm sure all guys are like that, you know. <laughs> Then all girls are like her. May maybe, <laughs> no. But sometimes he does well. He's like, oh yeah, okay, you know. Yeah. Let's see. But before he could think of what to say next, she burst out angrily, giving a stamp with her foot that would have sent her aloft again before the hold she had of his arm. Pull me up directly. Pull you up where, you beauty? Oh, flirt. Like you, beauty is a location. <laughs> pull you, pull you up where your beauty. Uh, like you. This this sentence is giving me an aneurysm. <laughs> But how do you flirt? What do you mean? Pull me up directly. Pull you up where you beauty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What are you gonna do? Okay. Does this? Okay. 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 I maybe I just don't know what the fuck is this flirting? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you think? No, I just thought that it was like make conversation and like tease her about it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, hey, how's it going? Right? Like, you just have like a rapport going, and then you say something, and you can tease her a little bit.、Uh, But this. Okay. Whatever. You can just do that at any point. Yeah, it's like, a, hey cutie. Hey cutie, like, I feel like the tone is like the the energy is like really intense. Intense right now. Pull me up directly. Pull pull you up where? You're thinking like that. Yeah. Pull you up where? Your beauty. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you have any brains. And that is worse loss for your wretched gravity. I pity you. Like she's mad at her. She、Man. is like firing, but before him is like, oh beauty. Okay. Yeah, like you can't do that. That's like you. You have to match emotional states. You can't not take her seriously. But she, it. <laughs> no, she just nobody. She cannot take seriously. She cannot. Like nobody. Yeah, nobody takes her seriously. And she cannot be taken seriously. Right. Okay. The prince now saw that he had become upon the bewitched princess and had already offended her. But before he could think of what to say next, she burst out angrily, giving a stamp with her foot that would have sent aloft again before the hold he had of his arm. Put me up directly. Put you up where, you beauty? Asked the prince. He had fallen in love with her almost already. For her anger made her more charming, and than anyone else had ever beheld her. As as I, far as I, it just reminds me, like there's a Taiwanese variety shows, and lots of couple as guests, and the host asking them when is the moment that you 
no, you gonna you gonna get married, and when that is big, when they are like arguing, like the worst moment, mm-hmm. uh, that he realized, oh, if I can, I'm okay with the worst. I realized I really want to spend my life with you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. this is just when he see the angry side of her that he realized. <laughs> And as far as he could see, which <laughs> can I get a goo at least? <laughs> okay, we can move on. Thank you. For her anger made her more charming than anyone else had ever beheld her, and as far as he could see, which certainly was not far, he had not a single fault about her, except, of course, that she had not any gravity. No prince, however, would judge of a princess by weight. Well, unless she weighs too much, right?、Mm-hmm. The loveliness. No, not any. No prince, how? No prince, however, would judge of a princess by weight. I don't know if that's true. It is true. If it's not, then you're not a prince. Oh, you're not a true prince.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the fat girl being like, "Uh, this is why he won't marry me."、Mm-hmm. It's because he's not a real prince. The loveliness of her foot, he would hardly estimate by the depth of the impression it would make in mud. Put you up where, my beauty? Asked the prince. In the water, you stupid! Answered the princess. Come then, said the prince. In the your beauty, you stupid. Okay. And then they they fall in love. Yeah. 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 Okay. The condition of her dress, increasing her usual difficulty in walking, compelled her to cling to him. I thought it would be like compelled her to take it off. Love <laughs> in love. Compelled her to cling to him, and he could hardly persuade himself that he was not a delightful dream, notwithstanding the torrent of musical abuse with which she overwhelmed him. The prince being therefore in no hurry, they came upon the lake at quite another part, where the bank was twenty-five feet high at least. And when they had reached the edge, he turned towards the princess and said, "How do I put you in?" "That is your business," she answered quite snappishly. "You took me out, put me in again." "Very well," said the prince, and catching her up in his arms, he sprang with her from the rock. The princess had just time. To give one delighted shriek of laughter before the water closed over them, when they came to the surface, she found that for a moment or two she could not even laugh, for she had gone down with such a rush that it was with difficulty she recovered her breath. The instant they reached the surface, "How do you like falling in?" asked the said the prince. After some effort, the princess panted out, "Is that what you call falling in?" "Yes," said the prince. "I should think it a very tolerable specimen." Of falling in. Ah.、Uh. It seemed to me like going up. Rejoined she. Okay. Do you know what's happening? Yeah, she first time ex experienced falling down, going up, 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 down. My feeling was certainly one of elevation too. The prince conceded. The princess did not appear to understand him, for she retorted his question. How do you like falling in? Said the princess. 
beyond everything, answered he, for I have fallen in with the only perfect creature I ever saw. No more of that. I am tired of it, said the princess. Perhaps she shared her father's aversion to punning. Don't you like falling in then, said the prince. It, are they talking about sex? <laughs> How so? <laughs> okay, hold on. How do you like falling in? Is that what you call falling in? Yes, I should think it a very tolerable <laughs> specimen. It seems to me like going up. My feeling was certainly one of elevation, too. How do you like falling in? Asked the princess. Beyond everything, said he, for I have fallen in with the only perfect creature I ever saw. No more of that. I am tired of it, said the princess. Perhaps she shared her father's aversion to punning. Don't you like falling in then? Said the prince. It is the most delightful fun I ever had in my life, said she. I never fell, I never fell before. I wish I could learn to think I am the only person in my father's kingdom that can't fall. Here, the poor princess almost looks sad. <laughs> I shall be most happy to fall in with you anytime you like, said the prince devotedly. Thank you. I don't know. Perhaps it would not be proper. <laughs> But I don't care. At all events, we have, as we have fallen in, let's have a swim together. With all my heart, responded the prince. Away they went, swimming and diving and floating, until at last they heard cries along the shore. Oh no, how many people saw them fall in? <laughs> Have you been watching us fall in this whole time? No, it's just <laughs> falling in. It's just, mm -hmm. it is. Billy, what did you saw at the pool today? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Uh, away they went, swimming and diving and floating until at last they heard cries along the shore. And saw lights glancing in all directions. It was now quite late and there was no moon. I must go home, said the princess. I am very sorry, for this is delightful. So am I, returned the prince. But I am glad I have a home to go to. At least, I don't know exactly where it is. Okay. I wish I hadn't one either, rejoined the princess. It is so stupid. I have a great mind, she continued, to play them all a trick. Why couldn't they leave me alone? They won't trust me in the lake for a single night. You see where that green light is burning? That is the window of my room. Now if you would just swim there with me very quietly, when we are all about but under the balcony, give me such a push, up you call it, as you did a little while ago, I should be able to catch hold of the balcony and get in at the window, and then they may look for me till tomorrow morning. With no more obedience than pleasure, said the prince gallantly, and away they swam very gently. Will you be in the lake tomorrow night? The prince ventured to ask. To be sure I will. I don't think so. Perhaps, was the princess's somewhat strange answer. It was somewhat strange. Yeah, she's thinking. Thinking. But, but the prince was intelligent enough not to press her further. Nice. <laughs> Good job. My dude, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so proud of him? I'm sorry. He's, he's, I don't know. 
respect. <laughs> anyway. And merely whispered as he gave her the parting lift. Don't tell. <laughs> the only answer the prince returned was a roguish look. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. That's so cool. What are you thinking? I would, if, I, I, this, I got to buy him beer. Got to <laughs> high five him. She was already a yard above his head. The look seemed to say, never fear. It is too good fun to spoil that way. <laughs> so, perfe- so perfectly like other people had she been in the water, that even yet the prince could scarcely believe his eyes when he saw her ascend slowly, grasp the balcony, and disappear through the window. He turned, almost expecting to see her still by his side, but he was alone in the water. So he, sw- so he swam away quietly and watched the lights roving about the shore for hours after the princess was safe in her chamber. As soon as they disappeared, he landed in search of his tunic and sword and, after some trouble, found them again. Then he made the best of his way around the lake to the other side. There the wood was wilder and the shore steeper, rising more imminently towards the mountains which surrounded the lake on all sides and kept sending it messages of silvery streams from morning to night and all night long. He soon found a spot where he could see the green light in the princess's room, and where, even in the broad daylight, he would be in no danger of being discovered from the opposite shore. It was a sort of cave in the rock where he provided himself a bed of withered leaves and laid down too tired for hunger to keep him awake. All night long, he dreamed that he was swimming with the princess. Okay. There is something going on. It's so yeah, right? <laughs> so encounter is a possibility. First time she tried something else. What do you mean by something going on? <laughs> Means before it's always like repeating what's going on. Like what's the situation here? Mm-hmm. Mm, this is something more she know about herself. I see. Well, I, I, okay, let me reiterate here. The The title of this story is Put Me In Again. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, story 10. <laughs> Look at the moon. Okay. Look at me and the moon. Early the next morning, the prince set out to look for something to eat which he soon found at a forester's hut, where for many following days he was supplied with all that a brave prince could consider necessary. And having plenty to keep him alive for the present, he would not think of wants not yet in existence. Whenever care intruded, the prince always bowed him out in the most princely manner. Do you want a Coke? Uh, After the story. Okay. When he returned from his breakfast to his watch cave, He saw the princess already floating about in the lake, attended by the king and queen, whom he knew by their crowns, and a great company in lovely little boats with canopies of all colors of the rainbow, and flags and streamers of a great many more. It was a very bright day, and the prince, burned up with the heat, began to long for the cold water and the cool princess. Okay. (laughs) Began with this sentence began to l- long for the cold water and the cool princess. Because uh-huh. he has a burned heart. Oh, boy. 
but he had to endure till twilight. For the boats had provisions on board, and it was not till the sun went down that the festive party began to vanish. Boat after boat drew away to the shore, following that of the king and queen. Till only one, apparently the princess's own boat, remained. But she did not want to go home even yet, and the prince thought he saw her order the boat to the shore without her. At all events, it rowed away, and now, of all the radiant company, only one white speck remained, and... Then the prince began to sing. Wow, romantic. And this is what he sung. Lady fair, swan white, lift thine eyes, banish night, by the might of thine eyes. Snowy arms, oars of snow, o'er her hither, plashing low. Soft and slow, o'er her hither. Stream behind her, o'er the lake, radiant whiteness in her wake. Following, following, for her sake, radiant whiteness. Cling about her, waters blue. Part not from her, but renew, cold and true, kisses round her. Lap me round, water sad, that have left her, make me glad. For ye had kissed her ere ye left her. <laughs> For make, lap me round, water sad, that have left her, make me glad. For ye had kissed her ere ye left her. <laughs> okay, it's a song. Before he had finished his song, the princess was just under the place where he sat, and looking up to find him, her ears, her e her ears had led her truly. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Would you like a fall, princess? Asked the prince, looking down. Ah, there you are. Yes, if you please, prince. Said the princess, looking up. How do you know I am a prince, princess? Said the prince. Because you are a very nice young man, prince," said the princess. "Come up, then, princess. Fetch me, prince." Oh. The prince took off his scarf, then his sword belt, then his tunic, <laughs> and tied them all together and let them down. But the line was far too short. <laughs> What are you gonna do? You better take more clothes off. He unwound his turban and added it to the rest. When it was all but long enough. And his purse completed it. The princess just managed to lay hold of the knot of money, and was beside him in a moment. This rock was much higher than the other, and the splash and the dive were tremendous. The princess was in ecstasies of delight, and their swim was delicious. Night after night they met and swam about in the dark, clear water, where such was the prince's gladness that whether the princess's way of looking at things infected him, or if he was actually getting lightheaded. He often fancied that he was swimming in the sky instead of the lake, but when he talked about being in heaven, the princess laughed at him dreadfully. When the moon came, she brought them fresh pleasure. Everything looked strange and new in her light, with an old, withered yet unfading newness. When the moon was nearly full, one of one of their great delights was to dive deep in the water, and then, turning round, look up through it at the great blot of light close above them. Shimmering and trembling and wavering, spreading and contracting, seeming to melt away, and again grow solid. Then they would shoot up through the blot, and lo, there was the full moon, far off, clear and steady and cold and very lovely, at the bottom of a deeper and bluer lake than theirs, as the princess said. The prince soon found out that while in the water, the princess was very like other people, and besides this, she was not so forward in her questions or pert. In her replies at sea as on shore, 
Neither did she laugh so much. And when she did laugh, it was more gently. She seemed altogether more modest and maidenly in the water than out of it. But when the prince, who had really fallen in love when he fell in the lake, began to ask her about love, she always turned her head towards them and laughed. After a while, she began to look puzzled, as if she were trying to understand what he meant, but could not, revealing a notion that he meant something. But as soon as ever she left the lake, she was so altered that the prince said to himself, If I marry her, I see no help for it. We must turn merman and mermaid and go out to sea at once. Okay, story 11. Hiss. Don't you start to like this story? It's not that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want the Coke? Hey, if I'm suffering, you're suffering too. We're not, we're, we're not getting Coke until we finish this. Okay. okay. I'm enjoying this. Okay. Uh-huh. Chapter 11. Hiss. The princess's pleasure in the lake had grown into a passion, and she could scarcely bear to be out of it for an hour. Imagine her consternation when, diving with the prince one night, a sudden suspicion seized her that the lake was not so deep as it used to be. The prince could not imagine what had happened. She shot to the surface and, without a word, swam at full speed towards the higher side of the lake. He followed, begging to know if she was ill or what was the matter. She never turned her head or took the smallest notice of his question. Arriving at the shore, she coasted the rocks with a minute inspection. But she was not able to come to a conclusion, for the moon was very small, so she could not see well. She turned, therefore, and swam home without saying a word to explain her conduct to the prince, of whose presence she seemed no longer conscious. He withdrew to his cave in great perplexity and distress. The next day, she made many observations, which at last strengthened her fears. She saw that the banks were too dry, and that the grass on the shore and the trailing plants on the rocks were withering away. She caused marks to be made along the borders and examined them, day after day, in all directions of the wind, until at last the horrible idea became a certain fact, that the surface of the lake was slowly sinking. Oh no, and she's smart. The poor princess nearly went out of the little mind she had. It was awful to her to see the lake, which she loved more than any living thing, lie dying before her eyes. It sank away, slowly vanishing. The tops of rocks that had never been seen till now began to appear far down in the clear water. Before long, they were drying the sun. It was fearful to think of the mud that would soon lie there, baking and festering, full of lovely creatures dying and ugly creatures coming to life like the unmaking of a world, and how hot the sun would be without any lake. She could not bear to swim in it anymore and began to pine away. Her life seemed bound up with it, and ever as the lake sank, she pined. People said she would not live for an hour after the lake was gone. It is like a mermaid. But she never cried. Proclamation was made to all the kingdom that whosoever should discover the cause of the lake's decrease would be rewarded after a princely fashion. Humdrum and Kopi Kek applied themselves to their physics and metaphysics, but in vain. Not even they could suggest the cause. Now the fact was that the old princess was at the root of the mischief. 
When she heard that her niece found more pleasure in the water than anyone else had out of it, she went into a rage and cursed herself for the want of foresight. But, said she, I will soon set all right. The king and the people shall die of thirst, and their brains shall boil and frizzle in their skulls before I will lose my revenge. So she did it. And she laughed a ferocious laugh that made the hairs on the back of her black cat stand erect with terror, and everyone within a four-mile radius died. <laughs> Went deaf, sorry. <laughs> you should grew and everyone in the four-mile radius. Oh four-mile radius rolled their eyes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. 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 Then she went to an old chest in the room, and opening it, took out what looked like a piece of dried seaweed. This she threw into a tub of water. Then she threw some powder into the water and stirred it with her bare arm, muttering over it words of hideous sound and yet more hideous import. Then she set the tub aside and took from the chest a huge bunch of a hundred rusty keys that clattered in her shaking hands. Then she sat down and proceeded to oil them all. Before she had finished, out from the tub, the water of which had kept a slow motion ever since she had ceased stirring it, came the head and half the body of a huge gray snake. But the witch did not look round. It grew out of the tub, waving itself backwards and forwards with a slow horizontal motion till it reached the princess. Then it laid its head upon her shoulder and gave a slow hiss in her ear. She started, but with joy, and seeing the head resting on her shoulder and drew it towards her and kissed it. Then she drew it all out of the tub and wound it round her body. It was one of those dreadful creatures which few have ever beheld, the white snakes of darkness. Then she took the keys and went down to her cellar. And as she unlocked the door, she said to herself, this is worth living for. That's sick. Uh, At least she's got motivations. Creating a snake. She's just driven by hate. Mischief. Locking the door behind her, she descended a few steps into the cellar, and crossing it, unlocked another door into a dark, narrow passage. She locked this also behind her and descended a few more steps. If anyone had followed the witch princess, he would have heard her unlock exactly 100 doors and descend a few steps after unlocking each. When she had unlocked the last, she entered the vast cave, the roof of which was supported by huge natural pillars of rock. Now this roof was the underside of the bottom of the lake. Then she untwined the snake from her body and held it by the tail high above her. The hideous creature stretched up its head towards the roof of the cavern, which it was just able to reach. It then began to move its head backwards and forwards with a slowly oscillating motion, as if looking for something. At the same moment, the witch began to walk round and round the cavern, coming nearer to the center every circuit, while the head of the snake described the same path over the roof that she did over the floor, for she kept holding it up. And still it kept slowly oscillating round and round the cavern they went, ever lessening the circuit, till at last the snake made a sudden dart and clung to the roof with its mouth. That's right, my beauty, cried the princess. Drain it dry. She let it go, left it hanging, and sat down on a great stone with her black cat, which had followed her all round the cave by her side. Then she began to knit and mutter awful words. The snake hung like a huge leech, sucking at the stone. The cat stood with its back arched and its tail like a piece of cable, looking up at the snake. And the old woman sat and knitted and muttered. 
Seven days and seven nights they remained thus, when suddenly the serpent dropped from the roof as if exhausted and shriveled up till it was again like a piece of dried seaweed. The witch started to her feet, picked it up, put it in her pocket, and looked up at the roof. One drop of water was trembling on the spot where the snake had been sucking. As soon as she saw that, she turned and fled, followed by her cat. Shutting the door in a terrible hurry, she locked it, and having muttered some frightful words, sped to the next, which also she locked and muttered over, and so with all the hundred doors, till she arrived in her own cellar. Then she sat down on the floor ready to faint, but listening with malicious delight to the, the, to the rushing of the water, which she could hear distinctly through all the hundred doors. But this was not enough. Hmm. Now that she had tasted revenge, she lost her patience. Without further measures, the lake would be too long in disappearing. So the next night, with the last shred of the dying old moon rising, she took some of the water in which she had revived the snake and put it in a bottle and set out, accompanied by her cat. Before morning, she made the entire circuit of the lake, muttering fearful words as she crossed every stream and casting into it some of the water out of her bottle. When she had finished the circuit, she muttered yet again and flung a handful of water towards the moon whereupon every spring in the country ceased to throb and bubble, dying away like the pulse of a dying man. The next day there was no sound of falling water to be heard along the borders of the lake. The very courses were dry, and the mountains showed no silvery streaks down their dark sides, and not alone had the fountains of Mother Earth ceased to flow, for all the babies throughout the country were crying dreadfully, only without tears. Aww. That's something happening. Don't you think it's something more going on? Isn't it better now? I will admit it is better. Uh huh. And that's it. It's just too long setting the characters. I still don't think it's going to end in a satisfying way, but I'm willing to be surprised pleasantly. I feel you will.